Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and, and to the recap of Itzulia Basque Country Stage 3 from Amurio to Ormualde, 167.7 kilometer long stage, fair amount of climbing. I think La Flamme Rouge is to be believed at 2,600 metres, and a lot of that in the final 25Ks of this stage. A break was able to form or would form on the earlier climbs, but it's really the finale that I want to focus on. There's two climbs, 2.1Ks at 6%, 2.7Ks at 6%, and then the finale, the 3.1K climb at 10.2%. It's called the Santa Maria del Yermo, but it's the first Mm, two Ks that are the steepest, particularly the from 500 meters in to 1500 meters in, averages 14 and a half percent with hairpins, classic Basque stuff. Then it levels off, and so eight and a half percent. And then the last 500 meters, there's rolly little ramps, and I'll try and show it in the profile. But there's up and down rises, and then the final 150 to 200 meters is downhill. Very similar to stage one of the Vuelta last year, which Roglic won yep. when he attacked on the final rise ahead of Karthian Carapaz. And the same was here. There's two little rises, a little descent section before then, last rise before a hut, and then a descent. So positioning would be crucial. Benji and I had Roglic as the favorite for the stage as of yesterday. The bookies supported that heavily. I think Pagacha second favorite, Woods third favorite or so, or maybe Godu, not sure. No, he or she here. Before we get into the recap, I want to mention our show partner, LaCole. LaCole produce performance cycling apparel. They're based out of the UK, but they got a factory in Italy as well. That's where they produce all their clothing. They've just released a Belgian cobbled classics sort of range in collaboration with Johan Museo, their new ambassador. It's a limited edition collection, and you can see it through the link in the description. But Benji, be honest with me. Yes. Were you focusing on Basque Country or Shell the Praise today? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I started watching the the women's Shell the Praise this morning. And in the afternoon I watched the uh, men's Shell the Praise and then uh had a bit of a work emergency. So I ended up tuning in into Basque Country with about a good four point five kilometers to go. So I did still see all the action, but I missed the build up to it. I missed the tension. Okay, so Benji was clearly focusing on his Belgian slash Dutch races, despite a more interesting race here. I'm going to send Benji out for coffee right now. There's a break with Honoré in it. I love it from Quickstep. They got Knox, who looked really good yesterday and in the TT on the final climb, and see how he goes on this climb here too today. Honoré, too long and hard for him, one would think. Send him in the break. He'd probably be strong in that break. He was there. They got a gap of five to six minutes. Roglic in the leader's jersey, uh, Pagacha behind, etc. Chavez, oof, minute and a half, 
two minutes behind two minutes behind nieve on bike exchange good climber spanish guy too five minutes plus behind on gc contenders for gc wouldn't be too worried about him this is the start of my rant by the way benji i've already started oh he's gone i just realized anyway bike exchange pace a lot of the day and work really hard to bring back that break which makes absolutely no sense they use sagabu Gurmai for a lot of it and i just want these teams to just just turn down the volume of your whatever you're listening to it on youtube and your laptop your, or your phone wake up wake up Roll, which is the dollar seventy favorite, three point one k's, ten percent. Pagacha's here too. Puy Marie, look it up. They're a different level on these sort of climbs, okay? And maybe if you've got Peak Valverde, Valverde. if you ISU with Woods pacing, hundred percent. I get it. He's looking different level this year. He's one of the best punchers in the world. Look what he did in Murderhoy behind he or she last year. Got to back him and support him as well, particularly for GC. They contribute to chasing down the break. But Jumbo Visma have brought not a weak team, but not their strongest team. And you're going to let them get away with, once again, slapping Fingston on the front and no one else, and you're going to commit your team to chasing. Uh, FDJ as well with Godu. We said he was an outside shot for this finish too. So I get that as well, them pacing, when it was clear that the break was going to be brought back. But bike exchange, pacing for Chavez. Yes, he looked good on the long climbs in Catalonia, Portenay and uh, Valta. Looked great. Took a stage win. This is different. This is a 10-minute pure watts per kilo steep climb and he was never going to come in the top five. So Nieve in the break should have been the play and even if it wasn't getting Nieve in the break, why are you helping Jumbo Visma? Why aren't you – making them, putting the onus on them to chase. Maybe they wouldn't have chased, but I think they wanted bonus seconds for Roglic, so they would have had to do something. But anyway, that's my rant about bike exchange. Um, I have no idea why they paced today. Someone can let me know down below. But anyway, the break got caught. I think Honoré was the last to get mocked up with 12Ks to go, and... It was clear that ISU were riding really hard for Mike Woods. They wanted to get him in good position, but they went to a town with like six Ks to go. We've done the final two climbs, the two K, two and a half K, six percent ones before the finish, and nothing's happened pretty much. Woods, Kelderman, suddenly we see Carapaz and Hegita are off the front, and Woods and, Hege- and Kelderman have crashed again in a corner. And Benji, how many times has Kelderman crashed so far this season? Like three or four times? Got to be the most unlucky rider so far this year. Yeah, not even uh, not even alone this year. Like in his career, he's had a lot of bad luck, and it's it's not always his fault. So with some riders that have a lot of crashes, when they're crashing alone, you start to doubt whether it's their fault that something happens. But when it comes to um, Kelderman, we had that he. Uh, hit a motorbike at some point or a motorbike hit him. I don't know uh, the history of that in the Giro at some point in his life. And then uh, we had the accident at the start of the season with a car. And now we eventually on to uh, his hand a few days ago, if it was yesterday or the day before, I don't remember. And today again. So yeah, sometimes I, I, I wonder as well, is Kelderman 
a factor in the fact that he crashes a lot of times? Do you think today that was the case, or do you think that he was taken out by a, I don't know? I'm not sure what happened. I did, we didn't really see it. They didn't show the heli overhead. But it meant that Carapaz, Igita, Magnus Court leading out Igita and Aurelian Batabantra went up the road. They entered the base of this climb ahead of that group. Court paced really hard for them. Igita was going, trying to pace. Carapaz was sitting on, maybe not sure should he be helping Adam Yates. It's kind of an unintentional gap because of the crash like on stage two and Carapaz slid out. I'm not sure who was pacing behind. I think it was UAE. It was UAE. They were trying to set something up for Pagacha. They'd listened to Benji's recommendation on the podcast yesterday that you need to go hard early at the base of the climb, make it a long effort, not just, well, it's never going to be easy on these gradients, but then not just a sprint at the end. They eventually caught Carapaz, who tried to re-attack from that group, and Pagacha attacked. His first attack marked pretty easily by Roglic. Roglic sitting on. They then worked together a little bit. Roglic didn't counter, basically sitting on mostly, caught by a large group with Valverde, Godu. Mike Woods, by the way, way out of contention. The crash, he crashed quite heavily, so he was way behind. He continued. I'm not sure if Kellerman's abandoned. I think he has. He looks pretty banged up, the poor guy. Uh, but, yeah, Woods is not there. But Godu, Valverde and co are chasing. They do chase them back. And then it settles down once again. Everyone looking at each other. Are Ineos going to pace? Is Adam Yates going to try and gain some time? Vingegaard is just sitting at the back of this group. Pagacha attacks again. This time gets a bigger gap, but marked by Roglic easily. Pagacha's blowing a little bit. I was thinking, oh, is Roglic is going to counter him? We still got, we're at the last 500 metres of the steep section of the climb, 1,800 metres to go, maybe. Roglic doesn't counter. They start to work together. Roglic actually doing a lot of the pacing. And I'm thinking, is this Puy Marie again? (laughs) Roglic, is he happy to just put time into everybody else except Pagacha? And then they get brought back again, perhaps indicating that Roglic wasn't riding full or, yeah, wasn't feeling it as well, given that he didn't counter. We've never really seen him try and counterattack at a moment like that against a proper GC contender um, that early on a climb. I think Sherubler, Paranese, you may say he went early, but that was, I mean, yeah, you can mention that, but Pagacha wasn't there. So he didn't counter sitting on, which is I think is fine. I think riding defensively, if you commit to that, you're ahead on GC, that's, that's your prerogative. You're in the leader's jersey uh, by... 26 seconds or 24 seconds or something because you did a good TT and Yama Visma had you in a better time slot. And they get brought back. Finally, there's another acceleration. Uh, the group that comes back to them has Yates, Godu, Galanda. He's back. Landisma. Valverde, who'd been at the back of the group, looking good in that group as well. And Godu. Godu tries to counter. We're now getting into the – we're on the not-so-steep section of this climb – Probably in the last kilometre, Godu tries to sneak on the left-hand side, tries a little attack. We've got up and down sections here. We've got a little rise, then a flat section. So when you look at the average gradient, it looks, well, it underrates how steep the little pinches are. And then Roglic launches with 620 metres to go. You can see it on Twitter, probably the last kilometre somewhere if you want to look it up. 620 metres to go. 
gets marked by Valverde. Valverde. They got a short, flatter section, slight downhill. Valverde's on Roglic wheel. He then gives up Roglic wheel. Pagacha closes it. He was right on Valverde's wheel. Has to close probably a bike and a half length. They've got he's on in Roglic wheel in a draft for this short section. We then got this nine or five nice. Final pinch, final rise with about uh, 250 metres to go before they go past this hut. I'll put a screenshot of it. This hut <laughs> is the last rise, last section you can attack. Then you've got a technical narrow downhill. Roglic, he was already done at this point. When they got to that hut, Roglic had been sprinting for 30 seconds and Pagacha on the hoods after Roglic had kind of tried to close Close him off to the right-hand side. Roglic goes, uh, Bagacha goes back to the left-hand side on the last bit of uphill, attacks Roglic, gets in front of him, and it doesn't matter how far you are in front of him, you cannot pass in this final if you watch it. It's so narrow, so twisty, just like stage one, or more hectic than stage one, well, between 2020. And Pagacha wins the stage, I would say, mugging Roglic a la Grand Colombia, stage 15, which I'll get into in a second. But what's your perspective on that? finale Benji A do you think Roglic could have counted Pagacha earlier in the climb B do you think he went too early C how do you rate the relative strength of Pagacha against Roglic right now okay three big questions but I'll get into it first of all I believe that Roglic was not in the position where he needed to be the rider that puts on the offensive Pagacha is behind in GC that makes him well, necessary to uh, make the moves. And we saw that today multiple times, Pogaccio with those moves. Um, what I was surprised by at a certain point was that the moment that Roglic went, it seemed like Pogaccio was ahead of Roglic because, well, Roglic is on the defensive. And the speed at which Pogaccio is just at a normal climbing rate, and then suddenly he sees Roglic on his right, the speed at which he responds, his reflexes, insane. Like, like it's crazy. He gets to that wheel ASAP. He even kind of mingles with Volvare there. And Volvare eventually takes that second spot and, and closes that down basically for him. And then uh, and well, when Volverde lost the wheel of Roglic, Pogacar had to do that extra bit to get to Roglic's wheel. And that's, again, some extra stuff he would need at the end. But eventually uh, didn't really need that, it seemed. I think when it comes to the final, though, think a lot played on the uh on the technicalities of the finish uh when i saw the profile when i saw the uh the stuff i checked yesterday evening didn't expect this to be such a technical final when it comes to first of all you've got that ramp down and then a bit of a ups and downs and final kilometer leading towards that final descent section and like towards that hut that you're talking about you know what the hut is called by the way they've actually got a name for that hut hut jabba jabba the hut Sorry, Star Wars people will get the joke. <laughs> so um, when you get to that hut, <laughs> your face is so so dead right now. <laughs> um, so they get to that hut, and I feel like the person that gets to that hut the first, it's going to be really hard to pass that person into the final 150 meters. I think that section from that point onwards is not long enough and a descent additionally on top of that to make sure that the second rider can get past the first person. And I think Pogacar proved in UAE to run Jebel Hafid. Yeah, it was both Jebel Hafid, but the one 
where he um where he both times decided against to... Lutsenko and Yates. Yeah, exactly. Both times he proved that he knew the parkour from beforehand. He played Yates basically perfectly out on that Jabel Hafid finish by um, using that descent as his advantage just before the finishing uphill section. And here he uses the section before the descent to, because he knows that once you're in that position, it's unlikely that you're going to get past in that last descent. And I think if you look back towards Arate to finish on the first Velta stage you were talking about earlier, Roglic did that there. Exactly the same thing. Yep. He used it the, the last rise launch. Yep. And then into that descent, he knew I'm at the front. They can't pass me here if I keep on pedaling to the line. And he kept that up and he won that stage as well eventually. So I think the technicalities of the finish played a big role. Personally, I don't know if I can say whether Pogacar is so much stronger than Roglic here. I think that ah, we've seen the time trial and the time trial still sits on my nerves a bit with the fact that I expected more from Pogacar there, like straight up. And I think it's just an off he, day. It's possible, but what does that make it for Roglic today? Is it just an off day that he loses from no. Pogacar here? You think it's uh, it's full on Pogacar is winning the Tour de France by 10 minutes mode? No, 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 no. I just think, <laughs> well, depends. I mean, he's just gifted this young Slovenian a World Tour level win. So now UAE are going to work for Roglic in the Tour de France and allow him to win the Tour de France because that's how professional cycling works. And Mikko Lander is not going to help them. Um, but this is just a pattern from Jumbo Visma. And listen, Pagaccio was probably stronger today. Otherwise, you'd expect, well, would you? I don't know. Would Roglic count? Maybe not. But I think people say maybe you're too critical. But then I want to, I'll link it down below the Twitter or whatever, the YouTube video from the last kilometer of stage 15 of the Tour de France last year, yep. well, which is so good when so often it seems absurd to criticize them or Roglic for not winning sometimes when he wins so much. But against Pogacar, he doesn't actually head-to-head win that much or that regularly. And you look at stage 15, Grand Colombier, they completely fucked that up that finish large group again they're riding defensively which is fine Roglic is so good in, mm-hmm. in the sprint at the end so ride defensively I get it same again today wait for the sprint but he attacked there with off a slow pace with Dumoulin blowing up he'd been pulling for ages with Koos on the wheel with a large group and he attacked and he got closed down easily by Pogaccio, gave up a draft for ages. He was actually bailed out a bit by Port. The attack was 6.50, and then Pogaccio mugged him for the win at the end. He jumped early, got around the – closed him off a bit in the corner and won. Same thing today. He attacks with 620 metres to go, allowing yep. Pogaccio to have – and not – by the way, this is not off a counter, not off bringing someone back. This is off – everyone's been looking at each other. I think Godu – or Valverde were riding false tempo on the front. So not a everyone's kind of looking, expecting an attack. It's a largest group. They'd not been attacking each other in the last 30 seconds, I don't think. So there's not great timing to get initial separation. You need evidence of how effective timing can be. Look at Aaron Barilla Freyla yesterday. So there's not that. He also goes into this section where he offers up a draft to Valverde and then Pogaccia. Pogaccia is getting his draft in a section which is actually important. They're going 40Ks an hour, I think, plus. And by the time they get 
to just before that important heart. He'd been sprinting for 30 seconds, Benji, and he was done. It wasn't a gift today. He'd been sprinting for 30 seconds. Pogacar, I mean, his recovery intraclimb is insane, but attacked him, got the win. If you're going to ride defensively and not go for proper time, why not just wait for the last 250, launch up that last rise? When he is sprinting head-to-head fresh, Pogacar, I think, is quicker. Robert's quicker than Pogacar, and that's why I think, I mean, it's not just me. Dumoulin had the same issues with some of Yumbo Visma, the way they rode and can ride these finales. And I think UAE and Pagacha, they seem to know the finales so well, almost where yep. each rise is. They study it. He knows. Um, and, um, but that being said, I, Benji, yeah, yeah, do you think this has any bearing on the tour? Does this really change anything or is it just another data point? Yeah, it's another data point. And I think it's just, acknowledging that both are better than everybody else at the moment. I can't say if this is going to give me a deciding factor between the two for the Tour de France. Um, I personally just think that Pogacar in general has a has a bigger potential as a climber than Roglic. And that's my personal opinion on that, like in the long term. And we saw that already kind of last year as well, but towards this year, perhaps even more in the Tour de France. But like the thing I noticed as well was and this is not something Roglic does on purpose, or perhaps he did, but not with a uh, with a bad thing in thought. Every single time Roglic takes a corner in first with Pogacar in his wheel, he takes it very wide. And he kind of pushes Pogacar, who is trying to get past him on that side, kind of in the gutter. And it's not on per- it's it's not that he means to put him in the barrier or anything. No, he just closes the door ahead of him. In the same way that Lutsenko forgot to do it on Jebel Hafid. And that's one thing I noticed today, that twice or, or three times on the climb, I noticed that Roglic taking a corner, he chooses to close the door to make sure Pogacar cannot go on the right, and then Pogacar, who is trying to go to the right, but not endangered in any way, kind of sits up and has to decide to go on the other side. And we saw that two yep. three times today, and I think it's it's a noticeable thing. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it means anything. Well, I think it's that proof it's, it's not just a gift. Aware. Yeah, people are saying maybe oh he didn't contest the finish. Nah, nah, he was cooked. Knew he was cooked, and he was like, "Fuck, I gotta shut the door or something on the right hand side." I think, I think it's proof of that. Yeah, and I think it's also in addition to once Roglic is in a position in the last one hundred fifty meters where he's in second wheel, I think he knows that he lost, and I think then yeah. it's it's normal that you sit up in the last hundred meters because like. Oh, it's downhill. It's, it's so narrow. Anyway, yeah. I don't think yeah. uh, you should look into the final 100 meters of sitting down by Roglic into an aspect no. towards weakness or something. I think just in general, I think that we don't know too much more today, but it's good that Pogacar won because now, did he get bonus seconds for this? Because then he's close to yep. GC, right? Nice. I should read and out this final result. Tadej Pogacar first, same time as Roglic on four hours, four minutes and 50 seconds. Valverde third, on five seconds in a group of Yates and Lander on the same time as him. So Pagacha takes 10 bonus seconds, Roglic six, Valverde four. Remember, Pagacha took four bonus seconds too in stage two yesterday when he came third behind Aramburu and Freyle. So he's made up eight seconds on Roglic in the last couple of stages. Go to sixth on eight seconds. James Knox, very nice result. Seventh, he's looked very good on six, 16 seconds in a group with Wingergaard and Van Sevenod. So the young guns going well there. McNulty, 10th on 18, I think is 
that's really nice actually on a finish yeah, like this. And I think I agree. that's kind of what I said yesterday. His watts per kilo from eight out to 20 minutes, like world-class, and this is a watts per kilo climb, but um, it's those longer climbs that seem to be an issue. Other riders, Sharkman lost 32 seconds. I think his punch, or not punch, this is a 10-minute watts per kilo test. I got found out a little bit today. Chavez, 13th, losing 20 seconds in a group of Bilbao. And Igita, uh, nothing really of note. GC standings right now. Roglic still leading Pogaccio, who moves up into second on 20 seconds. Maybe PCS is wrong. Don't really trust what it's saying. McNulty still third on 30. Yates, fourth. Oh, no, it's true because Woods Woods moved out loads because he lost so much time. And Aaron Baru dropped, so it is correct that Pagacha's moved a couple of spots. Yates fourth on 39, Valverde fifth on 50. Isn't it crazy, Benji, that crazy. Valverde straight up, not even memeing, he is clearly Movistar's best GC rider for any type of Grand Tour. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Have, have we seen it anything true. from Lopez yet in like a proper race oh, where true. he was leader though? Because we don't know that yet. Oh, but then true. again, I, Valverde is the, the king, so I don't know. Uh, I I don't see that changing. But, um, no, no, I forgot, yeah. about, I forgot Lopez joined them. I think when it comes to the rest of the top 10, the most notable things for me is that we see that this young Belgian guy, Mauri van Sevenant, he's 21 right now, and this dude just keeps on performing, doesn't he? Like, yeah. I think you got as well. He's, he's 24 already, so three years older, but van Sevenant, we, we met him last year. Well, I kind of knew him from two years ago, from the Giro Rosa or some other Italian race, called All-Star or something, where he uh, got pretty close or won. I don't remember. And uh, last year, of course, when he ended up in that ditch while uh, Uran was chasing him in the Flesh on stage. Yeah. Um, that's a, a memorable note, and that's one way to show yourself the first time around in World Tour. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that he's been growing throughout the season. He's won already this season, and I think we're going to see more and more of him. And, like we've not mentioned it yet. Yesterday, I think a uh, five-year new contract for Everpool at. Oh Kickstep, wait, so... wait. Okay, okay, okay. I want to. I want to talk about oh, that. Wait. Okay. Oh, wait. Let me do the profile first of tomorrow's stage, stage four from Vittoria Gasteiz to Ondaribia, 190 k's, hilly once again. It kind of looks like a harder version of that stage ten Shira stage, which I've all already referred to. It's got 3Ks at 7.5%, 4.6Ks at 6%, rolly, rolly, rolly. And then the final 50Ks has Dahiskabel, 8Ks at 5.5%. And I think that's a fake news climb if I'm not mistaken. Uh, <laughs> it's a half. It's not It's not got any obscene pass, I don't think. Um, there's just a couple of flatter sections in there. And also the... Eriat's climb, which is disgusting. 4K is at 10.3%, but there's 500-meter sections of 13.2, 11.2, 11.8, 11 at the start. So they do that. That crests with a false crest with um, 23Ks to go. Then they do a little bit more false flat climbing and then up and down descent and then a flat run in of, say, 10 8Ks into the finish, a tricky little stage. Uh, 
I don't know, Benji, I think Pogac is going on the attack again and he's going to be in a group with Roglic and Lander or someone like that for the finish. He's going to need to keep pushing. He's on 20 seconds now, so he's a bit closer already. He's going to get, well, need to get more time. And the place to do it is that climb, you know, because I don't think that not attacking there is a good idea. I think that it's also not dangerous to attack on it. This might be a bit like the Paul Darun stage in the Tour de France where that's what I was that thinking. Bonus second, um, where here she was like yodeling at the front yeah. in the breakaway, and uh, Pogacar attacked on the climb, and uh, I think some other people as well, and they eventually caught here yeah. she on the flat section afterwards. So it's not dangerous to to attack on that climb, and well, Roglic isn't going to counter him and ride to the finish. Yeah, the like, thing, the problem with Roglic is that I don't think he can be put into a position of trouble on this climb. I'm curious with the Ice Cavell climb just before that if they even dare to open it earlier, but I wouldn't. Ex- I don't know if I expect that. Hmm. Perhaps to like isolate Roglic on the first of those two because let's be real. Despite Vingegaard, the rest of the team hasn't been like at the front of the race throughout too much. So I think if they go hard on Yais Kibel, they might be with Vingegaard and uh, Roglic on the last climb alone, right? And Vingegaard is more in hanging on mode than yeah. I'm going to pull back this move uh, from what I've seen. So interesting stage tomorrow. I think Pagacha probably the favourite <laughs> or the break. Pagacha, Roglic again. And then I don't know how Woods will be. If he's lost a lot of time, maybe Woods can get in the break. I think he came today. Ooh, I can't see him on the PCS readout, so that's not good. Um, but if he's lost a lot of time, maybe get in the break. Who knows? I think if I'm bike exchange, I want to get Nieve in the break, riders like that, and see how they can go. Honoré Knox. Nah, Knox up there on GC, so ignore that. But talking about that quick step and Knox, Benji, want to talk about this Remco Evenepoel five-year extension and I think the unspoken about reason why that extension makes so much sense, even with Almeida out of contract, Knox, Honoré, Van Sevenant, they have young, strong climbers in that team already coming through to Koenig Quickstep and I think they've almost silently built a really strong GC support squad around yep. uh, Remco Evenepoel. Well, it was supposed to be for him at the Giro last year. It turned out to be for Almeida, and that group was so, so strong. I mean, actually, they are pretty much all out of contract, Benji. <laughs> so the question yep. is, what are they? who are they going to re-sign? Because Knox is legit. Honoré is really good. Almeida might be gone, but... Even if Paul hasn't really been able to use them, except for maybe this year, Masnada might be gone. Do you think they're going to go sign some big, expensive, super domestic names or try and re-sign these guys? I think to get to that point, we need to uh, discuss some other stuff in the process. We've had the last couple of weeks a lot of uh, stuff happening between Bora and the Koenig Quickstep regarding Evenepoel, then a rumour that Bora owner... Ralf Denk was trying to buy the Koenig, but eventually that ended up being completely untrue. And then eventually we heard a lot of 
stuff coming out by Lefebvre himself, talking about the budget and the sponsors for next season. And at first that was, oh no, we don't know if we have a sponsor or nothing. We don't know what's what's going on here. Um, we'll have to like find a sponsor quickly in the next three weeks. And then two to three weeks later, we heard about the fact that it's going well, the negotiations, and they are looking to up the budget to 40 million, which is now roughly 19 from the estimates that I've heard. And this is also not confirmed, this 40 million. But if that happens, this brings them to the top teams, like budget-wise, which they were not at all yet. I think they were 6th to 7th when it comes to their budget in the World Tour. And if that is brought to 40, then they can re-sign some of the people that have been doing extremely well this season, the Ballerini and Osgren, those types of riders, because all of those had their agent call a favor just after the race they won. So... I think that they're gonna get more costly and costly once they are, once they resign, and I think that we're gonna see quite a bunch of them resigned. Personally, I think when it comes to the riders on the Koenig that should be resigned, I think an obvious one, and this is perhaps a bit of a harsh topic, is I think Fabio Jakobsen because I believe that the Koenig will probably, I don't want to say it, but has be forced a bit to re-sign him because it it would feel bad if they don't re-sign him. And I think it would also be next to that bad PR if they don't re-sign him and give him a chance to come back at a top level of sprinting because I think he's starting in Tour of Turkey near the middle of this month. But we'll see at what level and if that I think they will. negotiations. They will? They have to. It's think so The PR well. is so good and they can get so much marketing out of it and it's the right thing to do as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I think they will. I think the riders they have who are out of contract who I think are good GC prospects don't really command because they haven't won anything really or too much and nothing mm-hmm. in the last while except I guess – Bagioli and Honoré looking good at Settimana. But, but like, is Honoré winning at Settimana going to get him a monster contract? Maybe. I mean, wouldn't you be better off with, you know, you, you've got the choice between a little bit of contract, better money somewhere else or riding for Almeida or, or Evanapol on the front in the Tour de France, which, like, that's pretty good exposure and a good bonus if he does well there. And if you're asked, wondering, oh, how are you assuming that that's the plan, that they're going to ride for Avonapol in the Grand Tours? It's like, that's the plan, guys. They got the sponsors on board with a long-term deal for one reason, changing up the Lefebvre strategy, signing Avonapol for five years. That's not to ride Classico San Sebastian as leader and then maybe <laughs> share some duty. <laughs> like it's to ride the Tour de France as leader and maybe the Giro or Welter as well. So, I mean, what do you think about them signing Evan and Paul Benji coming off that uh, injury? Like how do they know he's going to be in any good condition or like he was before? It's all well and good, the training stuff. Are they doing – are they at a risk of – Oh, I'm not going to say from an ISU, but maybe he's not at that crazy level, at least for a while. 
I don't his I don't think his contract is going to be at that crazy level yet either, despite what he's done already. And I think the uncertainty about that might even temper that a tiny bit in the sense that uh, this man has okay. not won a Grand Tour yet. And if he has not won a Grand Tour yet, he can't go ahead and ask Grand Tour money yet. And despite So you think he hasn't backed himself? I think that his agent probably backed himself, but I think that Lefebvre is probably pretty good at saying, well, we haven't seen it yet. And regarding the interest of both... Like, like, do you think Evanapol's like, ooh, better get this five-year deal done, don't actually know how good I'll be? (laughs) Uh, I... I don't think that's the case. I think that Evenepoel seems like the kind of person that has confidence in what he's doing. And from what we've seen so far, we saw that at the start of the season as well, leading into uh, the fact that he wasn't going to be fit on the moment that they thought he would be fit. And then eventually that is now back in order, it seems. And it seems like everything's going pretty okay. He's training together with Almeida in, uh, in Italy. And uh, someone else, I don't remember who was on the on the picture as well. So it seems like this recovery process, the second time, is working out. Obviously, we're not internal. We don't know that. And I think if they sign him for five years, then they probably have the confidence for five years. And yeah. I'd be surprised if someone like Lefebvre, who's probably the most financially fought-through, cut-through, cut-through, that's a perfect word, person... Uh, in this industry when it comes to signing people and figuring out who is worth re-signing and so forth, well, I don't think they're going to be having a mistake in the same value as what Froome is enduring when it comes to Israel. We don't know whether Froome will completely fuck up in total. We hope that Froome does well, but it's not looking like it at the moment. And in regards to... And Renko's 21. He's 21. He'll be at his peak years when his contract is over. Is that a bad idea? Not necessarily. For that long and then losing him just before 27, 28? In his peak physiologically might be this year, might be next year. Mm -hmm. He might be past it by the time he's 26. It's possible. No, it's like a lot of riders sometimes have their best years early. Sagan was better eight years ago and he's – physiologically wasn't as good when he was 27, 28, I don't think, particularly on the climbs as then. So, yeah. yeah. He's, rumored can, to, uh, he, he's rumored to join the Koenig, apparently, but that's uh, <laughs> not confirmed at all either. So, that is just yeah, pure that, speculation. Yeah, but on the other right. hand, it would be logical. I want to add to that. It would be logical because let's say he leaves Bora. Specialized. Specialized deal. Who yep. writes Specialized? The Koenig writes Specialized. So it's logical that that deal would succeed, knowing that Specialized, from what I remember, pays partially in the contract of Sagan at Bora right now. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's a rumor, but it's one that I kind of like. And I'd love to see where it goes. Maybe Lefebvre is getting sentimental in his old age. <laughs> we might have seen that a bit at Shell de Prez today. <laughs> <laughs> Resign Cavendish for the next year. Come on. He's proven yeah. himself, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I don't know about that, buddy. <laughs> All right. That's enough for today. Enough hijinks, enough, enough transfer rumors. Let us know if you're watching on YouTube uh, what you think about the Evanapol news. Is it too long? Are you surprised by it? Um, 
maybe Evan Paul got that Pizza Hut money and it doesn't even matter how much he earns <laughs> from his cycling salary anymore because he uh, – yeah, he's being supported by a dying franchise that doesn't even exist and it's clothing in brand. anymore. He's Pardon? got a clothing brand as well. His own yep. clothing brand. In Life is a time trail. They had to revoke that T-shirt after I shared it. And then I took that in the story because I felt bad because they had a typo in the story. Um, really? Yeah, I felt <laughs> bad. All right, that's enough from us today. We'll be back tomorrow with the uh, Basque Country Stage 4 recap. Pegach is going to attack again. You can bookmark that, clip that. Guarantee it. Replay it tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 